0: news network fake news circular logic disinformation outright lies what do you do when the truth goes underground well here let me get that door for you welcome to tnn
1: the truth news network
0: and your host is dan newman i'll just second that peter pete moss thank you for that we are so glad you're here today Thank you for joining us each and every day here at TNN Live. For those of you who are regulars, we don't take you for granted. We are so, so uh, pleased that you make a choice, many of you in your workday. And uh, you may sit at a desk when you can with earbuds in. We thank you for that, driving in the car. We thank you for that. And, of course, now you can grab this show after it goes off live. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and also Facebook. And a lot of people are grabbing that. Let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. Um, the toll-free studio line, 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884, When the show begins, I forward that line to my cell phone, and it forwards directly into our console in the studio, and the phone number is a phone number, one of the phone numbers I use on my cell phone. I'm just minding my own business sitting at my desk yesterday afternoon, and I got two phone calls on that line, and they were calling in to talk on the show. They just didn't realize they had got it as a podcast on one of those sites I just mentioned. And they were sitting there listening to the show thinking they were listening live. So I guess maybe we need to put a disclaimer on all the shows that are uploaded. All of them are every day immediately after they go off the air here. uh, And we have nothing to do with that. These companies pick the show up and put it on their podcast schedule. But I thought it was kind of interesting. Both of them were were very nice when I explained the situation to them and said, uh, "You know, I am so sorry. Would love for you to listen in. maybe some of those, a couple of those that called in are listening today." And I want to say welcome. You found us. And any time you can do it live, nine to eleven a.m. Monday through Friday Central. We're glad you join us. One of them was from Kansas, and uh, it took him a moment to. He he said, "Where where are you located?" I said, "Louisiana." what time zone? And I said, Central US. He said, well, I'm on the same time zone. Why aren't you on the air right now? I'm listening to you. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was kind of ironic. For those of you that do get to listen in live and you choose to do so, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're glad you're part of the family. Well, I got, I got to be honest with you. I have been pretty much taken aback by all that's happened over the last year in the Biden administration and how everything that has been done and everything that hasn't been done, as it all plays out, it's almost like it's painting a a, a big canvas, painting a story on a big canvas. This past Sunday in our church, we had a reenactment of the Lord's Supper, and of course, the master reenactment or documentation of the Lord's Supper is that painting that is hanging, it's actually not a hanging painting, it's a wall in Milan, Italy. Great artist painted The Last Supper and this kind of reminds me of that. The Lord's Supper was captured on a canvas with all 12 of the disciples and then Jesus and it ended up being The Last Meal that Jesus took before he was crucified. We've got a canvas of our own that's being painted today. And many people are trying to paint it. They throw their two cents in. They'll paint a little corner of it, trying to come up with something that they can get other people, influence other people to turn to their ideas. This mess that is going on from the left, this <laughs> this mess going on from the left. What mess are you talking about, Dan? There are a bunch of them, and there are. But have you noticed, it first hit me when FBI Director Christopher Wray was testifying before Congress, and he came in to kind of do a State of the Union thing for members of Congress about what's around us, what are the things that we don't know about that we need to be aware of, all those kind of things rolled in. And at the top of his testimony, he actually said the greatest threat to America, according to the FBI, is white supremacy. Now, think about that for a second. I'm going to give you 10 or 15 seconds. Just think about that. Director of the FBI, the greatest threat to America is white supremacy. I'm going to get into this and I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute, but I wanted to start the show by getting you to think about, is it really, in your way of thinking, the greatest threat to America? White supremacy. They're everywhere. (laughs) They're all over the place, are those white supremacists. When an FBI director makes anything this important, supremacy, white supremacy, white nationalists, it surely must be an extreme danger to our country. So, what I did yesterday, I spent a long time investigating, looking for factual verification that supports what Director Ray's assertion was before Congress. It's surprisingly difficult to find examples that justify his allegation. And certainly I couldn't find any statistics that support the idea that white supremacy is rampant and that there are any incidents that specifically point to there being rampant actions that should raise such a warning flag. Now, I did find one little tidbit, a factual statement by one source, and I'll keep the source quiet, but I I wanted you to hear what this particular person said about white supremacy. Researchers found that white supremacists, anti-government extremists from the violent far right, and involuntary celibates carried out 67% of all domestic terrorist plots and attacks. Far-left terrorists accounted for 20%. CSIS analyzed 61 incidents from January 1st of 2020 to August 31st of that year. Terrorism, the report states, is defined by the deliberate use or threat of violence by non-state actors in order to achieve political goals and create a broad psychological impact. Now, what's missing in what you just heard? The first sentence makes a broad, sweeping assertion that we just automatically are supposed to believe. What is the first sentence? Researchers found that white supremacists, anti-government extremists from the violent far right... And involuntary celibates carried out 67% of all domestic terrorist plots and attacks. Researchers. Researchers. Are those experts? Have we heard the experts spew some stuff at us in the last couple of years especially? Who the heck are the researchers that came up with that? And where's the data? No specific examples. No statistics included in that document that would verify, if they were there, some realistic perspective that actual white supremacist actions during a very violent and divisive year 2020. Remember that? Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, after he took office, he made it very clear. One of his most important tasks was to find and eliminate white supremacy from our military and he acted on his promises. However, the actual number of members in all branches of our military who are affiliated with known supremacist entities and or showing supremacist tendencies were minuscule. Still, though, Secretary Austin made it clear that white supremacy is one of the most critical and rampant issues in the U.S. armed forces. But there's more. Last Friday, I mean, we're current now, last Friday, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he declared white supremacist and domestic violent extremism to be the most prominent threat currently facing our nation. The timing could not have been more perfect. Just hours later, a jury up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, exposed the DOJ's largest alleged domestic terrorism case of the last 18 months. And they exposed it as a failed FBI entrapment scheme to smear conservatives as white supremacists ahead of the 2020 election. You remember when all that happened? By refusing to convict those four men accused of plotting to kidnap and kill Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, before Election Day 2020, the Grand Rapids jury seemed to side with defense attorneys who argued their clients were not domestic terrorists, but they were entrapped by undercover FBI agents and at least a dozen informants who planned and funded the kidnapping operation. The key to the government's plan was to turn general discontent with Governor Whitmer's COVID-19 restrictions into a crime that then could be prosecuted. That's what the defense lawyers wrote in a joint motion. The government picked what it knew would be a sensational charge, conspiracy to kidnap the governor. I mean, who wouldn't think those people, whoever that were that did that, tried to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, should go to jail, right? Right when the government was faced with evidence showing that defendants had no interest in a kidnapping plot, it refused to accept failure and continued to push its plan. Department of justice has got a bad, bad history of doing just that. They just keep pushing, keep pushing. They will never cave. They will never admit they were wrong. Why can they do that? Because they have unlimited funding to do that if they're out there on a specific task it doesn't matter what it takes they're going to get the task done and in this case it's a taxpayer expense the fbi's governor kidnapping hoax it shows just how serious our federal law enforcement agencies are about pursuing domestic extremists even if it means the alleged threat originates in washington or FBI field offices. They're going after everybody. Mayorkas is doubling down on the threat of white supremacists, even in light of the DOG's failure up in Michigan. It's a result of the time and the resources the Biden administration and Homeland Security have dedicated to fighting this perceived threat instead of actual threats, such as the massive migrant surge expected to overwhelm our U.S. border next month. In his first address to Congress, President Biden cited white supremacist terrorism as the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. In March last year, 2021, Homeland Security and the FBI they issued a joint memo warning that domestic extremists were ramping up to take control of the U.S. Capitol and remove Democratic lawmakers on or about the 4th of March. Nothing happened on March 4th. In June of 2021, DHS issued a warning, without any evidence, that the centennial commemoration of the Tulsa race massacre might be a target of extremism. Nothing happened that day either. That same month, the Biden White House issued a fact sheet, and the title was The National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. Boy, it sounds like, here we go, we got them by the throat, now we've got step-by-step instructions. Those white supremacists, they've got to go. That paper claimed that racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race, or a top domestic terror threat facing America. This white supremacist drumbeat was just a precursor to the creation of a new domestic terrorism unit. DOJ announced it was forming in January this year. Of course, we experienced a similar overaction in the Bush era. DHS back then was created to protect us all from another 9-11, which also led to the kinds of mass surveillance and accusations of FBI entrapment that we are witnessing now. If the Whitmer case is any indication, this type of hyper-focus is going to incentivize federal law enforcement to go to whatever lengths necessary when investigating potential domestic extremists, no matter How overstated the risk? And oh, by the way, yesterday, we've got another story this morning. In fact, I'll just jump right to it in the middle of this one. Guess what? At least 20 FBI and ATF assets, that's what they call people that are tasked on a mission. At least 20 of them were embedded around the U.S. Capitol January 6, 2021, They were out there. They were among the crowd. They were making themselves look like plants. We knew that that was happening, but everybody in the government said, oh, no, 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 including the White House. How did we find out about it? It was part of a disclosure made in a motion seeking to dismiss seditious conspiracy and obstruction charges against 10 of those Oath Keepers, Those defendants in one of the most prominent January 6th criminal cases. Do you know, with 700 arrests of those that were there that day, many of those 700 still in jail in DC, you know how many people have been tried for such egregious wrongdoing? Four. And the fourth case is what we're talking about today. David Fisher is the attorney for Thomas Caldwell of Berryville, Virginia. He filed a motion, a big one, 41 pages, to dismiss four counts on behalf of all the Oath Keepers case defendants before U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta in Washington, D.C. Caldwell is charged in that indictment but is not a member of the Oath Keepers. At least 20 FBI and ATF assets were embedded around the Capitol on January 6th. That's in a footnote on page 6 of that motion. No other details were provided. The footnote said defense attorneys combed through a mountain of discovery, including FBI Form 302 summaries of interviews conducted by FBI agents that were there. In addition to the information about law enforcement assets on the ground, the footnote says the Oath Keepers were being monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. Pouring over evidence turned over in discovery by prosecutors in two major Oath Keepers cases has not found one iota of proof that the defendants had any plan, any intention, any design, or any scheme to specifically enter the Capitol building that day. Fisher said he could not comment on the motion or provide more details about the footnote. Just thought, We'd throw that in since we're talking about white supremacy. So let me ask you this. How prevalent is white supremacy? And put it in the context of what I'm about to say. We are called white supremacists if you disagree with anybody on the left and your skin color is white. If you question anything that people on the left say about anything, I mean everything from the top to the bottom, if you question them, oh, you're questioning me because you're a white supremacist, uh, a bigot, a homophobe, an Islamophobe, all of those things. We would think based upon the way the news goes, not about actual in- incidents that occur at the behest or at the uh, imp- imp- implications of white supremacy. They would be happening every day across the nation. I'm a journalist and I conduct exhausting research about each of the major issues that are impacting Americans across the board. My wife will tell you I research daily, all day. If I sit in a chair with a TV show on, I'm sitting there with my laptop looking for information. Sources I find and use are as local as my local newspaper, radio stations and as far away as Moscow, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, London, and Rio. The nation's capital is no doubt the epicenter of the politicization of every part of our lives. It's uncontroverted that numerous of the certainties of evil thing groups and people that are tossed into the national media narrative in D.C. and disseminated as truths, with the word truths in quotation marks, Truths across the world, they say, are not certainties at all and are often, in fact, more often than not, untruthful. But what is certain is that each of these are planned and coordinated and weaponized to fit whatever political narrative of the day fits the cause of the day that is the subject that day. White supremacy long ago became a catchphrase that's used whenever an opportunity arises that gives an opening to use race against a white person with whom one disagrees. Think about it. If you turn to enter a conversation with somebody about race or racial matters, and you try to keep the conversation factual, it's easy to end the talk by simply using this word. Oh, that's racist. So if, I, if if you call me a racist, how can I respond? There's only one way. No, I'm not a racist. That rings pretty hollow in the wake of having to wear that deadly label now. There's really no defense possible, and they know that. Kind of like a story about two friends leaving an NFL stadium, a great NFL game, walking in the middle of a large crowd, bunched all together, leaving the stadium. So one of the two guys that are friends, they're walking separately from each other in the crowd. One of the guys, Jim, cried out to his friend Joe, walking about five yards away in the crowd, Hey, Jim, when did you stop beating your wife? Everybody in the crowd between the pair heard the allegation against Joe and automatically assumed the allegation had to be true. Joe beats his wife. So basically what happened is Joe got called a wife-beater. Somebody labeled him with that. Calling somebody a racist or a white supremacist is identical to that example. Remember that back in the Trump era, very short, just four years, Opportunities arose daily to use the R and S words to stifle conversations and allow leftist ideologies to dominate our discussion. Bingo! Mission accomplished. You name-call, you do it enough, do it loud enough, and you don't have to talk about issues. The ultimate go-to allegation against a Caucasian is to label one a white supremacist it's an easy thing to do and it almost always strikes a tone that one cannot easily overcome if they can overcome it truth in these conversations is insignificant all that matters is hey i've labeled somebody and now they got to they got to be careful about what they say because everybody knows they're a white supremacist so how rampant is white supremacy in the United States, really? How large are these white supremacist groups? When asked that question, one retired military officer, looking back on his very long career, was quick to respond from his stable of large experiences with people of all races and ethnicities while serving in the U.S. Marine Corps. When asked, his response was quick. He was asked... How rampant is white supremacy? Two-word response. Vanishing, vanishing, small. For proof, he said, think. When's the last time you saw a company advertise or market themselves targeting white supremacists? There are products that are frequently sold online and are cheap or free to deliver to the customer. Some of these would be profitable with, say, a 0.5% market share. Some of these would still be profitable to a smaller family business with a 0.01% market share. Yet, where are the white supremacist companies? Where are the advertisements proclaiming the purity of the CEO's bloodline? Where's the 1488 online clothing store? There are some products that you could argue indirectly market to white supremacists. This is because they're not enough white supremacists to buy their stuff, and they need to get a lot of clueless or borderline racist people or people who simply want to be edgy into their business. And he wasn't wasn't finished yet. He continued. But even then, every company I've seen that produced a custom T-shirt that they didn't realize had racist symbols immediately pulled it. Clearly, that company cannot survive on revenue from white supremacist customers alone. Otherwise, there would be a market for these goods. I do not remember a single occurrence of a company explicitly advertising to reach white supremacists. Why? The tiny number of people that they would reach clearly wouldn't make up for the political attacks and boycotts That would certainly follow. I think he hit the nail on the head there, don't you? Despite a persistent ability to attract media attention, organized Ku Klux Klan groups are actually continuing a long term trend. And you know what that long term trend is? Declining numbers. They remain a collection of mostly small disjointed groups that continually change their name and change their leadership. Despite their diminishing numbers, there are still approximately 3000 clan members nationwide. <laughs> 330 million folks. And estimates are 3000 clan members, one of every 100,000 Americans. The CPUSA is the Communist Party of the USA. It claims about 5,000 members. So about the same numbers on the radical left as the radical right, again, not huge. However, the left-leaning mainstream media makes the radical right seem a lot larger, much more influential than it really is. CNN, MSNBC, the others, never, never, report on the activities or protest of the Communist Party of the United States of America. Never. But what about those reports nonstop on Antifa? Never. They're undoubtedly racist Americans who conduct themselves in that fashion. Not all of those are white. Yes, there certainly are white supremacists among us. There are also racists and supremacists that are not white. Some reading those last two sentences, just for saying that, they're going to automatically label me as a white supremacist just because I said it. That alone proves the points made above are factual. One does not necessarily need to be white to be a supremacist. That mental and emotional demeanor cuts both ways. And until a majority of Americans consciously choose to reject all racism and stop labeling everyone without any personal knowledge, we will never have racial justice. And racial justice is absolutely necessary to achieve the goals and objectives that are entrenched in the foundation of this nation. Yeah, I know. Don't even go there. Many of our forefathers owned slaves. There's no excuse for that. It happened. And that can't be changed. Understand that and the acceptance of slavery as a chapter of American history that, as evil as it was, it no longer exists here. That shows some racial progress, right? And yes, we have far yet to go. Here's a suggestion. Why don't we all together try to actively promote an environment of talking with people instead of constantly talking at people? When we talk with people, we share ideas and discuss each person's opinions of those ideas. Understanding comes through communication. It doesn't just fall from the sky. Until we know others' opinions on a subject, how can we honestly reach a consensus on anything? Our current political system is on the wrong track. I think it's fair to say that pretty much on everything, every issue, 100%. Our leaders are lost and certainly not leading our nation. The vast majority of Americans feel that way. We, citizens have just our votes and our opinions with which we can impact the path that we collectively walk. That means we must be vocal, and be vocal in a peaceful manner. It's comical to watch the response to leftist media members this week in the aftermath of Elon Musk buying that big chunk of Twitter. Several on air have vocalized their personal fear of Musk buying enough Tesla stock Twitter stock to have a controlling interest. Their fear? That Elon will disassemble the egregious algorithms that Twitter uses to silence conservative political postings. Can we get any more sour and angry than we are today? Can we get more divisive? If that's our methodology going forward, then true authoritarianism is our plight. Democrats and their media minions continue to label former President Trump as an authoritarian, while at the same time, the existing administration implements daily the practices of what? Authoritarianism. That Trump, nor any other president in my lifetime, dared to even try to do. And the American people? We just sit quietly and watch what's going on. Who's speaking the truth to them? I think that's a fair question. Who's doing that? If anybody is. Are you doing that? And if you aren't, why not? You have a voice. You'll have a vote. Both need to be heard every time you have an opportunity. And we'll just take take a cue from Nike. Just do it.
2: Subway Restaurants Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk.
1: fee fi fo foam. I smell the... Uh,
0: I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there?
3: Oh, this? It's the Big Hot Pastrami Sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that Beanstalk out there makes you hungry.
0: Uh, you mind if I have a bite?
2: Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Talked with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese. It's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway, eat fresh. Today
3: on Hey Culligan, Softer equals
0: Telling the truth the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman,
1: TNN, The Truth News Network.
0: Again, here's Dan. Yesterday when we were live on the air, that that shooting slash expected bombing took place in Brooklyn, New York. I know exactly where that uh, subway station is that this happened. It's a few blocks away from my wife's favorite restaurant in the world, Brooklyn Cafe. Brooklyn Cafe. It's right below the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, they've got a guy that they think is the guy that did it and they can't find him. It's ripping them apart. Why don't we why don't we go to New York this morning and get the very latest on what happened and what's going on right now about that?
5: All right, but we are gonna begin with the latest on that terrifying shooting on the New York City subway system yesterday. Police are looking for this man, 62-year-old Frank James, and part of a wider investigation into the attack, leaving 23 people injured yesterday. James has not been formally identified as a suspect, but police are looking for him in connection to the shooting nonetheless. The gunman, whoever he is, started shooting on a subway train in western Brooklyn, a train filled with people on their way to work. Ten of the injured people were shot, struck by bullets. Police say that if the shooter's gun had not jammed, this could have been a far worse situation. Multiple clips were found at the scene. Mola Lange is at the scene in Brooklyn where police are describing the one man in this case that they're looking for. A very distinctive outfit he showed up in. Mola, good morning.
4: Well, good morning, Tony. As you mentioned, no suspect has been named. James right now is a person of interest in this investigation, and they believe he rented this U-Haul truck found yesterday after its keys were discovered at the scene uh, at the Brooklyn subway station where the attack happened. Also, a video apparently posted by James on Monday showing him talking about killing people and wanting to watch people die. At about 8.30 a.m. Tuesday, panicked passengers on a Manhattan-bound train fled for their lives after a gunman set off a smoke bomb, then fired more than 30 rounds into the crowd. In another car, video shows riders trapped in a thick cloud of smoke waiting for the train to pull into the station.
5: I get off the train, and the first thing I smell, the smoke that hit me in the face was not normal train smoke. This is like something's burning, it's thick, it's heavy, and people just start running towards me in
4: fear. Sam Karkomer arrived at the 36th Street Station on a different train, saw the commotion, and started filming.
5: Women are screaming, people are screaming, someone's saying something about guns, people are like covered in blood as they're running towards us.
4: Passengers were seen dragging each other to safety or performing first aid, while others fled to the street above.
3: And coming up the stairs, I saw maybe a 16-year-old
5: that was shot in the knee. It was just a scary moment. It was Everyone was packed together. <clears throat> and I, I didn't know what happened until after.
4: Investigators recovered a tote bag that included a hatchet, two gas canisters, and a 9 millimeter handgun that apparently jammed during the attack along with three extended magazines and discharged shell casings. Witnesses described the shooter as a dark-skinned man in an orange worker's vest who put on a gas mask before opening fire. We are truly fortunate
1: that this was not significantly worse than it is. Some good news is that none of the injuries appear to be life-threatening. We will use every resource we can to bring those to justice who continue to prey on the citizens of New York.
4: Now, police have announced up to a $50,000 reward for information in this shooting. And this morning, the train station here in Brooklyn has reopened to passengers. You can see them trickling in and out. And trains are running again in both directions as the Transit Authority here in New York says police have concluded their investigation down in the subway station.
0: Well, we actually have the name of, now it's not just a person of interest, uh, it's a guy that is a suspect. His name is Frank James. Let me, let me just say this. Uh, if you've ever been to New York, been to Manhattan, rode on subways, you know how busy and how anonymous everybody seems to stay there. Nobody wants, in fact, it's, it's a faux pas. You don't look somebody in the eye. You don't smile at anybody. You just ignore each other and just move on. And I'm sure those practices were what led to what happened yesterday. This guy just walks up. He's got a backpack and all of a sudden he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out a gas mask and slips it on. Nobody noticed. Nobody said a thing. And just in moments he reaches in and gets two smoke bombs and chunks them into the subway train car, and moments later, steps into the car and just starts shooting indiscriminately with a Glock nine millimeter. Fortunately, a jam, but not until he had he had shot forty plus times, just randomly in the smoke. That, my friends, is a scary thing. It really is. And so the cops have named Frank James. He's an Afri- African American guy. Um and I said that not to be racial, not to point out anything, but just as a point of identification. Now, I just at the end there, I did a disclaimer. Isn't it amazing to you that I felt obligated to do a disclaimer about calling the guy an African American? That's racist. That's racist. You're a skinhead, you wear an earring, you wear a beard. You gotta be one of those MAGA people. You're a racist, Dan. That's how we flowed today. Facts, they don't matter anymore. Whatever our opinions are about anything and everything, that's all that matters. And if I don't agree with you, I'll just walk back into my little corner and say, Well, you can have your truth. I'll have my truth, and I like mine better, so I'm going to go on mine. It's mob rule. We live in a nation that is run by a mob. Anything and everything they say is gospel, and so we got to do it. It's really interesting to watch the mainstream media of late. You remember we talked a couple of times during the last year about how uncanny it was during a daytime, if you flip channels, when something big or several different big news items were in the news and everybody were talking about them. And if it could be possibly, whatever it was, the topic, if it could possibly be weaponized against conservatives, against Donald Trump, against Republicans, the news people would report the story of it from the same identical perspective as other mainstream news outlets. And we even gave you snippets where, in some stories, folks, 40, 50 different news outlets, television stations primarily, their anchors were up and giving the stories verbatim, word by word, the same as every other far-left news agency was doing at the same time. This whole mob rule thing, I used to laugh about it when somebody would allege it's going on. (laughs) We're right smack dab in the middle of it. Meanwhile, on the other side of the globe, the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv was hit with 53 artillery and rocket launches overnight. Our armed forces are constantly fighting to prevent the enemy from passing to Donetsk and Luhansk regions. That's the head of the Kharkiv Regional State Administration announced. Russians continue to terrorize civilians. Unfortunately, during the past 24 hours, 22 civilians, including three children, were injured in the shelling of the region. Seven people died. To kind of give you a geographical perspective, Kharkiv is about 30 miles from the Russian border and it sits along a major highway that is the invading forces need to take to head south toward the eastern regions of Donetsk. A senior U.S. defense official said yesterday that Russian forces would likely be sticking to the roads as Moscow attempts to send a second convoy into Ukraine. This time, It's headed to the eastern front. The weather's changing there, and that means a ground invasion could prove more difficult for Russia, and heavily armed vehicles will be prevented from off-roading as the grounds thaw. Despite 50 days now of heavy shelling, this advisor in Kharkiv told residents not to evacuate, and said our armed forces destroy a lot of equipment and manpower of Russians every day, believe in our defenders, and remain calm. It's unclear if this convoy was responsible for any of the shelling that happened overnight, but a senior U.S. security official said this morning early that it did not appear Ukrainian forces had started hitting the convoy. One of the reasons they may not be hitting the convoy is because their president's cries at Washington, D.C. over and over every day. What is a, what a Zelensky hollering at Joe Biden every day? Send me weapons. Send me ammunition. Send me the ability to have a way to successfully fight against our invading enemy. And in large part, Biden's got a deaf ear to that. While this is going on, we are finding out just how real our global food crisis is. And it comes at the hands of this invasion in Ukraine. Wholesale prices in Germany have spiked. And wholesale prices all across Europe have. But in Germany, their greatest yearly rise in food cost in 60 years The wholesale cost of fuel, minerals, and food in Germany, the greatest rise in 60 years. Germany, along with a host of other European countries, they're already experiencing horrible shortages of a variety of things, including the likes of flour and sunflower oil, while food manufacturers in particular struggling to adjust recipes and production methods to keep factory lines moving with substitute ingredients the worst is still yet to come though according to a report by german federal statistics office which records the cost of wholesale goods as having gone up 22.6 percent in march compared to march last year 22 percent this represents the single greatest jump in prices since they began record keeping in germany these high rates of change for wholesale prices, they come mainly from increased prices for raw materials and those intermediate products. This is from the federal office. These results refer to the reference date March 5th, 2022, and should contain first implications deriving from Russia's attack on Ukraine. Every day, every day over there, things just continue along the same path. While over here, folks, many of us just walk around in a cloud. We don't want to turn our eyes on all of the stuff that's going on and uh, feel pressured to come up with a perspective in which we can live peacefully and just be okay. A lot of people, there's a lot of people. I can tell you this. I know I have family members that are listening in. I'll probably get in trouble here, but our family is full of women and even when The women were kids growing up. In my wife's family, the mantra about anything bad is if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. And that's not just about other people. It's stuff that happens to people within our family. Debacles that are going on. If we don't talk about them, hey, 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 it's like they're not there. And we don't have to talk about it and give our opinions and ask questions and get facts. We don't want to go there. You don't think that's happening across the United States and around the world? We don't want to talk about things. So we just clam up and don't talk about things. Stuart Varney, you know him at Fox News. He's a Brit guy, but he's an economical expert. So he weighed in. We just told you about the cost of everything going up 60%. Not 60 percent, more than it has in 60 years. In Germany and other countries are almost the same. What about our inflation here? What about the details of that nasty report that came out yesterday?
6: Another inflation bombshell this morning. Consumer prices went up 8.5 percent in the last year. That is a real shock. Anyone under 50 has never seen anything like this before. President Biden has laid the blame on just about everyone. Meat packers, oil companies, the supply chain, chip shortages, and now Putin. Today, he'll visit Iowa and frequently use the expression Putin's price hikes. That is a political excuse. It does not address the root causes. And those root causes are extraordinary money printing by the Federal Reserve, massive pandemic spending by Congress, The deliberate cut in America's oil and gas production ending our energy independence and, yes, Putin's war, which cut the supply of wheat and corn and raised food prices worldwide. That's why inflation has hit us so hard. And the administration not in a position to do much about it. Biden still has big spending plans. That's not going to help. He won't allow us to go get the oil and gas that's under our feet. And there's a little Biden can do about food prices. This is a political problem working people are taking the worst hit and that's the democrat base or used to be it's an economic problem we're facing a recession threat and that's not good right before an election i keep saying it this reminds me of the 1970s that was the last time inflation spiked it ended with a severe recession and the landslide defeat of a sitting democrat president that was then what is
0: now what is now stewart asked the question boy how appropriate is that Now, he's a news guy, and he's not politically partisan in any way. He's from the U.K., so he's grown up in and lives in two different political perspectives. One leans towards socialism, socialist light, if you want to call it that. The other towards democracy, true representative Republican democracy. Not Republican, but Republic democracy. The U.S. versus the U.K. He's seen it all. He opted in for this one. And he still believes after years of living here, he's in his late 60s, that he made the right decision. Our representative democracy is better than what he grew up in in the U.K. But what we're talking about now, the inflation rate here, we just mentioned Germany's was up 22%. You just heard Stuart Varney talk about ours being much less, but still ours is higher than it was in the 70s, which is the worst it's ever been. The one salient thing he said in that that I don't know if you picked up on is this. This is the sole responsibility and where the blame lands is solely on our government. There's nothing we can do about it. All of the economic bureaucratic choices, uh, orders that that are done, rules that are put out there, Legislation, there's been none passed. Hardly any legislation passed in the House or the Senate. Almost all of this is coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Joe Biden's doing this as Barack Obama taught him to do. You got a cell phone and a pen. You can govern America. All you got to do is just make them do what you want to do. And if you can't get Congress to agree to you, just do an executive order. That's all you have to do. In fact, many Americans will never even know about it because they don't pay attention. You don't pay attention. You never know about it. You never talk about it because it's ugly, it's mean, and you don't want to get into that. You want to stay in your world and let me stay in mine and just go about doing your thing, and you don't want to have anything to do with anything else until it comes and lives with you. Now, the rights that we have as American citizens were not given to us by the founders of this nation, even though the far left ide- ideologically challenged people, the ones that came up with this, you know, America was not founded in 77 thing, um, those people don't believe in this. They don't think it's credible. They were given, we were given by the government the right to do everything and told what not to do. And it stops right there. Our forefathers had much, so much foresight that they made very clear when the federal government was being built and put together. We don't want the government to be big. We don't want it to be a authoritarian process where they control everything. So we want to make clear We're establishing this government, we're establishing this nation on the backs of the American people, and the American people will be the ones who decide all the rules, everything that happens. And they told them that, and they did it in the form of pinning 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, each one of them spelling out the rights and privileges, not that the government is given to us in the... U.S. Constitution, but what we were expressly keeping as the American people having the sole right in these areas, those 10 areas, free speech, number one, absolutely one of the most important issues of then in the nation then and now today in our nation now today. And we're not going to get into all of the different ways that our free speech is being usurped, our right to peaceably assemble, all those things that are included in the Article one and then uh, the carryover and explanation in the First Amendment. Those first ten amendments are called our Bill of Rights. The big one, the right to say anything. Well, although our neighbors to the north are not a representative republic, they are a socialist entity linked with the UK. I'm talking about Canada, of course. They don't have the same First Amendment ideals as we do down here. And they're very socialist, used to be middle of the road, now he's leaning far, far to the left, Justin Trudeau. He's come up with a novel way to be able to control free speech among journalists. Canada, what a decent, beautiful
3: country filled with nice people. Unfortunately, it's now an authoritarian country. Justin Trudeau's government has just outlawed independent journalism in Canada. The government now requires that journalists possess a journalism license. Now to get that license, the journalists have to report favorably on Justin Trudeau's government. Rebel News is one of Canada's few honest news outlets did not get a license. Right, that's called censorship. And it's not surprising. Last year, Justin Trudeau tried to have Rebel News banned from covering a debate in Canada. A judge overturned that ban and allowed Rebel News reporter inside the debate hall here's how justin trudeau responded to that ruling the reality is organizations organizations like yours uh, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation on the science around vaccines around how we're going to actually get through this pandemic and be there for each other and keep our kids safe is part of why we're seeing such um, unfortunate uh, anger and lack of understanding of basic science. And quite frankly, you're, I won't call it a media organization. So you criticize me, therefore you shouldn't be able to talk. That guy's a fascist, just to be totally clear. Ezra Levant is not. He founded Rebel News, he joins us tonight. Ezra, thanks so much for coming on. This is one of those stories, it's just hard to believe, reading it as a longtime fan of your country that this could be allowed to happen have we overstated it
2: well it's not yet illegal to do journalism without that license it's a government license called the Qualified Canadian journalism organization license. A government panel reviews you. They spent one year reviewing Rebel News, looking through more than 100 of our stories, a panel of five people in secret. We don't even know what they said or did or what they looked at. And they claim that only 1% of our stories are news, so we don't get the license. Now, we're not outlawed, but there's all sorts of sticks and carrots that come with it. For example, just last week, Trudeau announced that he is going to. Compel Facebook and Google to downrank non licensed journalists like us and boost his trusted friendly journalists. So we're going to be hidden and he's going to compel the internet giants to punish us. He's also changing the Income Tax Act to punish us. If you have a government license, your subscribers can write off their subscription at tax time. If you're an independent journalist like us, no dice. Uh, Of course, there are hundreds of millions of dollars that he is hosing with a fire hose at his trusted licensed journalists, and he's now compelling Google and Facebook to fund journalists too. So now you've got literally 99% of Canadian media companies that are dependent on Justin Trudeau and soon Google and Facebook for a, a huge chunk of their revenues. There's no way those journalists can be free and independent. We're not banned yet, although we are banned from government events, as you uh, said earlier. But I'm worried that he's done all this in two years. The worst is yet to come. He may well ban us yet.
3: Well, if he's forcing the tech monopolies to downgrade your content, I mean, it's a distinction without a difference. You're You're banned from reaching readers. So my question is, what about the rest of Canadian media? They're going along with this? Has anyone at the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, stood up to defend you? ANY OF YOUR NEWSPAPERS TO DEFEND YOU?
2: 1500 CANADIAN NEWS MEDIA COMPANIES ARE ON THE TAKE. NOW, THEY DON'T ALL HAVE THESE JOURNALISM LICENSES YET, BUT THEY'RE ALL TAKING MONEY FROM TRUDEAU. HE MADE A SPECIAL $61 MILLION PAYMENT TO THEM RIGHT BEFORE THE ELECTION. NONE OF THEM REPORTED THAT. 1500 NEWS MEDIA COMPANIES CUT UP A $61 MILLION GIFT. NONE OF THEM REPORTED THAT. SO THE THING IS, SINCE THEY'RE IN ON IT, THEY CAN'T VERY WELL REPORT IT, AND THEY CERTAINLY CAN'T VERY WELL OBJECT TO IT. IT USED TO BE THAT THE LIBERALS OF CANADA WERE FOR CIVIL RIGHTS AND FREE SPEECH AND SEPARATION OF, YOU KNOW, GOVERNMENT AND THE MEDIA. THOSE DAYS ARE DONE. You can really count on one hand's fingers the independent media left in the country, and Trudeau hates them. We were the ones who covered the trucker rebellion, as you know, and, and Trudeau hated the truckers because they were the one group that opposed him. He hates us for the same reason. He seized the bank accounts of truckers without legal process. I'm worried that if he's gone this far in two years, by the time he finishes his term three years from now, I'm worried that he's gonna start to treat us like the truckers. I don't know, will he seize our bank accounts? Will he ask Google and Facebook to delist us all together? I know that sounds paranoid, but so far he's done everything he threatened he would do.
3: It's China, and they're so fragile. You're one little news organization, and they can't stand any scrutiny. It really tells you a lot. Ezra, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Godspeed, we are
0: rooting for you, for sure. I know some Canadians that when this came up in conversation, I mean, years ago, probably seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, I was talking with a guy who produces uh, a television show, a national television show out of Toronto. And I talked to him about the content of his show. He was a Christian minister, had a very successful show there, and it was a satellite show and it was beamed around the world, but it was principally done across Canada. And so I talked to him about it and I said, do you think you'll ever see any abridgment of your ability to broadcast because of your content, because you're a Christian, and because you're passing along Christian ideals. And he looked at me and said, Canada is as free a country as is the United States of America. You guys do some things a little bit differently, but we take our cue from you for the best things that we feel apply to us, just as we're sure the United States looks at Canada and takes some of the things out of the Canadian life style and government that you think would help you. But the one thing we have in common will never change here. And that's the ability to have free speech, to broadcast, to print and to say anything that we want to say, just like your first amendment. Those were his words. And I'm paraphrasing. I guarantee you, he never thought that today his entity and he passed away a few years ago, so he's gone. But if he was alive, He would never think that anything like that would ever happen to him, but he would have to go get a license to be able to do his Christian broadcast today. Do you think anything like that's ever going to come here? I got to be honest with you. I think we are inches away from seeing that. Inches away from seeing that. I honestly feel that way. And um, I'm not just throwing that out there, folks. I think we're close to that. You know, we tell you often the uh, places where people can go get our podcast after the live show is over, and one of them is Google. Can you believe Google? The owners of YouTube. Google came out and reached out to me and wanted access to TNN Live to put it on their podcast lineup. I can't believe it. And I'm asked all the time, you mean Google? Let your show go on Google Podcast, And folks, maybe one worse, Facebook. You can go on Facebook, my Facebook page, and every day Facebook puts up that day's podcast. First Amendment, folks. It's under siege. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at one 37 truth TNN. Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org.
4: Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best?
2: Sour. sour cream salt and vinegar too you sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips Yeah.
0: you left your wallet at
2: home but now you have a new best friend the many flavors of lay's chips one taste and you're in love
1: whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school childhood is always in session so keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks just like when you were a kid Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmade's other snacks, like creamy yogurt covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmade's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks.
0: It's a difficult song to play, right? (laughs) I think something's coming up. Oh yeah, here we go. Remember that? Walk This Way. I think that was the very first internationally uh, publicized rap tune. When did that come out? I think back in the 80s, maybe? Gosh, it may have been the 90s. I don't know. I'm old. I'm losing track of of time, And I've always been able to associate things with, especially music, a time with a bunch of things that came out at the same time. You know, the clothes we wear, uh, our haircuts. Of course, mine never changes. <laughs> My hair never turned gray. It turned loose. I am slick ball. Hey, before we move on, some kind of interesting news coming out of Southeast uh, Asia. Japan has approved a bunch of new sanctions against Russia. Listen to this. They're freezing the assets of Putin's daughters. Yesterday, Japan's cabinet agreed to freeze the assets of 398 Russian individuals, including two of Putin's daughters. That's part of a new sanctions plan against Moscow over the Ukrainian invasion. This round of sanctions includes the freezing of the assets of Putin's daughters and a whole string of big oligarchs, a Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov's wife, bringing the total number of Russian individuals that are sanctioned by Japan, 499. I think this is, if not already, it's going to impact all these people in major ways. Over there, we live kind of insulated here in the United States. We never really think about, you know, being able to move from place to place being difficult. If you look at Europe, if you look at Asia, um, their concoctions of nations over there are way different from ours. Ours are not nations. Ours are states, and we have 50 of them. And everything pretty much runs the same in each of the 50 states. You go to places like Europe, and I mean... Going country to country in Europe, you get in a car and drive around in Europe, it's like going state to state in the U.S. But every time you cross a border, things are different. Often languages are different. Operational things, uh, the way the country runs, the way the government runs, things like money, it changes. And it's a very difficult situation. So people over there in Europe and Asia They do a lot of nation to nation stuff that we don't think about. We never do. And money and investments is one of those big things that they do from country to country. And when you go grab the assets of 500 individuals for what's going on in the Ukrainian invasion, it's going to make a major impact on the lives of those people, if nobody else. Just brought that out, wanted to tell you that just so you could put in perspective what's going on over there. What about back here? You know, we've got a big election coming up, November the 8th. November the 8th, midterm elections. A lot on the line. The House of Representatives, majority in the House is on the line. It looks very, very tough for Democrats to maintain their very slim majority. The Senate seems to be closer to being at a 50-50 tide going forward. There are some indications that the Republican Party may be able to pick up a a seat or two in the Senate, but that's yet to be seen. So what is the big problem that we were told when Joe Biden was elected, our country was going to take off, we were going to new heights, we were going to be better than we've ever been before, and it was going to be because of the leadership of Joe Biden. And now... Everybody in mainstream, in politics and in media, they're frantically trying to find ways to give over some ideas to the White House for Joe Biden to make sure that those evil Republicans don't take over the government. MSNBC host notes that the cratering approval of this president urgently calls for him to cancel student debt ahead of the midterms. Not because of the process of student death, but we got to come up with some ideas that we can buy the people's boats in 2022. Basically, that's what she's saying. Go out and tell these kids, these people, there are many of our adults now. You got all the student debt up there, billions of dollars. Well, guess what? We understand the hardships that put you in. No fault of your own, so we're gonna we're just gonna blow it all off. You don't owe anybody anything again. Biden's dismal ratings hang over these midterms like a dark cloud. The experts are predicting a shellacking awaiting the Democrat Party, kind of like the scale that greeted Barack Obama back in twenty ten where the Tea Party wave ushered in a net gain one year. of the seats in the House switched to the Republican Party in 2010 when Barack Obama was in office. That was his first midterm election. That's the largest shift in seats since 1948. These people are still preoccupied with their slobbering love affair with the former president. The media is not keen on dredging up this response to their messiah being elected, Joe Biden. His approval ratings with 18 to 30-year-olds has dropped 25 points since January last year. The biggest drop of any age group, and an age group that helped Democrats, by the way, win the House in 2018 and 2020. Biden needs to cancel student debt ASAP. A-S-A-P. That's from the NBC MSNBC host. Never mind, studies show that student loan forgiveness is more apt to benefit the affluent people who hold substantial amounts of debt here. But then the left seldom gets bogged down in facts when they're bloviating about politics. You know, we can always make noise and the noise doesn't have to be accurate because we're the Democrats will be believed on everything that we say. So yeah, 2022 election coming up and it's a big deal. So everybody's wondering, looking ahead, are we going to have the same kind of things that happened in the 2022 election that we saw happen in 2020 and even 2018? Finaggling with the election processes, trying to buy votes, trying to manipulate all kinds of things. Is that stuff going to happen again? One of the big purveyors of that has been revealed, and we've talked extensively about it. Here was all that money that uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he and his wife put out there, they put it out through their not-for-profit entities, and they did it in the guise of assisting voting election precincts around the nation in these states that don't have a lot of money, and these election places needed uh, more equipment, uh, more computer stuff, more this, more that, and they gave in Zuckerberg and his wife gave around the country mostly to the primary principal states that can and many times do decide the results of federal elections. Who are those states? Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Las Vegas, excuse me, Nevada and Arizona those are the principal ones. And so they gave them half a billion dollars, spread it out. So people are looking at Zuckerberg because we know the impact was significant and it looks like, and not in small part, but in large part, that money impacted the results of the 2020 election. Well, Zuckerberg, he made a big announcement yesterday. He announced he will not be contributing any money to facilitate these upcoming 2022 midterm election operations. Why is he not doing it? Well, he's still getting criticism for his alleged meddling back in 2020. Brian Baker is a Facebook spokesman, and Brian said the two are not donating for something like this ever again. Nearly 400 million bucks. I said half a billion. I missed it 100 million. Big deal, right? 400 million to, it was supposed to, support election administrations. And that was because of the uncertainty that everybody was anticipating caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. It makes sense. You know, a dollar here, a dollar there, you add it all up, it's $400 million? No big deal, right? Critics say that Zuckerberg's spending was targeted to help secure votes for Democrats, especially in those states I like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Michigan. And then, of course, there was Georgia. Republican New York Representative Claudia Tinney said last year that Mark Zuckerberg channeled $350 million to government agencies during the 2020 election with zero transparency or accountability. So in response to the controversy, Republican Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signed a bill outlawing state and local election officials from accepting private money for election operations, and that's according to the Washington Times. I've followed this whole debacle very closely. I really have. And I've done it because I think this is such a key thing in the life of Americans, our elections. Our elections are the only key that we have where we can actually physically make an impact in our governing and those who govern us and then what they do when they get into government. Now, granted, we tell them through our votes, we put the people there with our votes that we want to do the things that we want to be done. They're the ones that would be doing it. Sometimes we miss. Sometimes they purposely don't do things. Sometimes when they get there, you got 535 people that actually are voters those people begin to speak to the representatives that we all send up there and their minds change. I get all that. But it all starts with us. We're the ones that have to do the messaging and let those that we elect go up there. Let them know we expect what you told us when you campaign, when you were down here and you campaign. We expect you to make sure all of that happens when you get elected. That's the only reasons we're sending you up there. Anything else is immaterial. We don't give a rip about. We don't care about where you live. Um, That's one of those things where you got to figure out for yourself. You're going to get $175,000. $175,000 as a salary plus a big spending expense account. You get to hire all your staff and taxpayers will pay for it. You get all that. We we want you to obviously take advantage of that, but we want you to do it solely for us. Not you, not for your career, but solely for us. And it's a big deal to all 535 of them. So much so that we have one Democrat from Hawaii. Now, you know it's a long way from Hawaii to Washington, D.C., I got to be honest with you. I have flown nonstop from Houston to Honolulu, Hawaii, and I've flown non nonstop from Dallas to Honolulu, Hawaii. It's a long way, and I get that. And it's a big sacrifice for anybody out there to choose to run for office and serve because you know you've got you've got families, you have homes. You have obligations where you live. We all do. And these lawmakers, when they run for office, they miss sleeping in their own beds. I've had extensive conversations about this very thing with my local congressman, Mike Johnson, who you hear on TNF Live from time to time. And he's a great guy, good Christian guy. He's uh, the generation right behind me. He and his wife, Kelly, they're about the same ages as our daughters, and they've got a great family. And they do a lot in the community here. So, Mike, being in leadership in the Republican Party, is in Washington, D.C. a lot. All the kids are in school here one in high school, the others in uh, elementary school and middle school. So, it is a sacrifice, but they know that when they go in, right? They know what it's going to look like. They can talk to people up there and find out. One guy from Hawaii. He ran on a promise of giving his constituents full-time representation. He has been absent from the Capitol for almost this entire year. Representative Kai Kahili, a Democrat from Hawaii, has rarely shown up for work in D.C. This year only, casting five votes in person over the course of three days in January. The rest of his 120 votes were cast by proxy, which means a colleague voted on his behalf while he stayed back in Hawaii. Nancy Pelosi created and permitted proxy voting ever since the start of the pandemic, whereas in-person voting is still required in the Senate. Kahili is a combat veteran. Thank you for your service, Congressman. He apparently never gave up his job as a Hawaiian Airlines pilot where according to the Civil Beat he earned 120 grand in 2020 the year he was elected. His salary as a member of Congress 174,000. He got a pay raise. His failure to show up for work in DC coincided with Kahili reportedly mulling a run for governor this November though he's not made any formal announcement. He defended all of his proxy voting from Hawaii, citing legitimate COVID-19 concerns about new variants and living in a multi-generational home. In a lengthy formal statement that he put out late yesterday, his office criticized, quote, intentionally misleading and inaccurate reports about Congressman Kahili's continued commitment to his work in Washington statement said he is deeply concerned for the health of his family and sought to limit his exposure to COVID by cutting cross-country travel. He's concerned for the health and safety of the communities with whom he interacts, his office said. He's also deeply concerned about the health and safety of members of his own family because he lives in a multi-generational home. Unfortunately, variants of COVID-19 continue to spread, Why, just last week, members of leadership in the House and the White House got the COVID-19 virus. So, to limit his exposure to COVID-19 and the potential to spread the virus, I'm mean, oh mean. You know, you're going to spread it. You get around other people, you hug and kiss them. His office said they have tried to reduce Kahili's cross-country travel while ensuring he fulfills all of his responsibilities in Congress. With proxy voting, Kahili has not missed a single vote this year, they said. Well, what about the income? What income are you talking about? He's still flying on Hawaiian Airlines. His office said he flies for Hawaiian Airlines only on occasion to maintain his pilot certification and within the limits of house ethics rules, which capped annual outside income at $29,895. The congressman's outside employment is in accordance with rules set by the U.S. House Committee ethics. In 2022, he's flown three flights for a total of 14.2 flying hours, and he's earned $2,861.90. In 2021, His outside earned income totaled $29,151.79. His absence from D.C., it's a sharp turn for this progressive Democrat. He entered Congress in 21 with stated intentions of moving his wife and three daughters to D.C. Why? Obviously to avoid the grueling 13-hour commute every week from his hometown of Hilo. During an interview during freshman orientation two years ago, Kahili said he envisioned hosting barbecues, going to church, playing baseball with fellow lawmakers in the hope that friendship could give way to bipartisanship. Isn't that a novel idea? Does that whole process I just explained to you sound like politics in America? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it does to me. And I, I can tell you this. I don't live in Hawaii. I love Hawaii. I've been there multiple times. My favorite place to go is Maui. I love Maui. One of my favorite restaurants on the planet is just east of the airport in uh, in Maui, the commercial airport. You could fly into Maui, incidentally, now from directly from places on the West Coast. You don't have to go through Honolulu anymore. But anyway... Anytime I go and I pick up my rent car when I leave the airport in Maui, I go about four miles to Mama's Fish House. And it is breathtaking to sit there on the veranda looking. That's right on the water, right on the beach. And that area of Maui is where those kite surfers, they come in in droves. And you can sit there, and as long as you'll sit there, there are probably 40, 50, 60 of them out there. And with those waves, that crystal blue water, and those really nice breezes that blow off the water, it's a great place to go. Anytime you have a chance. Go to Maui. And when you go there, um, go to Mama's Fish House and tell Mama Dan said hello. I'm sure she'll remember me. You know, Chris Wallace left Fox News. A lot of people were disappointed i got to be completely honest with you. When when Chris started that show on Fox News, I, I didn't know very much about him other than he was Mike Wallace's son. Mike Wallace was one of the mainstays on 60 Minutes for years and years. And Mike Wallace had a propensity to walk the line down the middle politically. In fact, most of the guys that did news back then, they did that. They were real news people. Novel idea. Let's just bring the people, the news, what's going on, the important things that they need to know about. And then we had a whole generation that said, well, we're going to stop right there. We're going to tell them some news things, but we're not just going to do it like y'all did, where you just give them the facts and move on and let them determine what's important to them and what's not, yada, yada, yada. Y'all were boring. What we're going to do is we're going to put some spice in what we do. Not only are we going to tell them what's happening, we're going to tell them why. We're going to tell them who. We're going to tell them what's right and what's wrong and all of these things we're reporting so they won't have to go to the trouble to figure it out for themselves. When, When Chris started his show, Fox News Sunday, He stuck to that mantra, the same one that his dad, Mike Wallace, and the cohorts he worked with on 60 Minutes. Just give facts. Now, because it's a Sunday show, there were some perspectives that were allowed to be put in there. But somewhere during the Trump campaign, Mike Wallace just took a hard turn politically to the left. And he could no longer resist slamming Donald Trump and even occasionally others that in the Republican party that would do strange idea Republican doing things that their voters wanted them to do in legislation and governing the nation he didn't like it and he began to express it and in the uh the polls he was getting beat up by Fox viewers nobody had to say anything to them about Mike excuse me, Chris Wallace's perspective on news changing and moving rapidly to the left. Finally, 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 he found a place he could go where he could be successful. He'd have an open opportunity to express his opinions on his own show about anything and everything. So where did Mike go? Where did, I, I keep calling him his dad's name. Where did Chris go? He picked the obvious bastion of media at every level. C-N-N. What a place to go. All good newscasters will go to CNN. That's where they die. <laughs> well, CNN they they watch what Fox News, what is Fox Nation? That's what Fox News calls their streaming programming. That programming, by the way, is unbelievable. It is full of some of the greatest stuff. I mean, if you want to if you're bored on a Saturday, Subscribe to Fox Nation and just take the whole day because they take you all around the world through every spectrum of everything and you get great media venues, pictures, uh, independent people coming in, talking. It's really, really good. CNN saw that and, of course, everything that Fox does that's successful, all these other cable news networks try to copy because they're... They're trying to find a way to catch up with Fox News, and they ain't even close. So AT&T owns CNN. They've invested already $300 million in CNN Plus, their streaming, brand-new streaming entity. And guess what? Guess what their readership, their viewership is in a 24-hour period? right now on CNN plus 300 million, 10,000 viewers per day. So you do the math. I did the math. $300 million invested. They have 10,000 viewers every day. That's $30,000 CNN is paying per viewer. And what their promised goal was, is to invest a total of a billion dollars into CNN+, which would mean that these arrogant narcissists intended to spend a billion dollars to attract about 25,000 viewers every day. As of right now, CNN+, is looking like a bigger failure than Quibi. You don't even remember Quibi. Quibi came from the genius mind of Jeffrey Katzenberg. It was launched in April of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, and people were paying 8 bucks a month. Quibi offered short-form streaming content. So basically, Quibi wanted people to pay a monthly fee for what they got for free on YouTube. Before the end of that year, and to the surprise of no one, Quibi shut down. In the history of worst ideas, Quibi used to be number one. But at least one Quibi shut down, once it did, it had something to show for its short life. A handful of television shows that you can now get on Roku. CNN's stupidity, it's been rampant forever. I never will understand why they do some of the things they do. But now, something new, it's mind-boggling. To begin with, here's something that'll blow your mind. CNN Plus doesn't even offer CNN. (laughs) You can't stream the 24-7 news channel on CNN Plus. So CNN Plus is not CNN Plus. There's no plus. Actually, there's no CNN at CNN Plus. How could you do it? They just double and triple down on stupid <laughs> at CNN. Oh my gosh, we still we still have some things I want to get to. Joe Manchin's in the news today. Joe Manchin. I like Joe Manchin. I know he's a Democrat, but he is a far to the middle. I think he really is far more Republican than he is Democrat, and he lives in the state West Virginia, where the state is remarkably. Republican, but yet he gets elected again and again as a Democrat. Interesting, isn't it? Well, we've got Joe Manchin news, and I want you to hear that, but we're going to go to break. Before we go to break, listen to Sky News yesterday. Sky News, they're blown away with our president. And they, they in, a, in a very genteel way, will make fun of Joe Biden. They'll do video bits. But yesterday, they got a little over the line, and they actually carried a quip that was being aired in Saudi Arabia, folks, Saudi Arabia, making fun of our president. Here's this short little note from Sky News.
4: But first, let's quickly check in with the leader of the free world, who today had a this important message to impart.
6: Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune to prostitute being sued. Come on. In February, the families of
5: nine...
4: <laughs> this is what he said, word for word. Imagine had the tobacco industry been immune to prostitute being sued. Come on. It's little wonder that he's become the subject of mockery around the world. Even the Saudis are doing comedy skits on the cognitively impaired president and his veep. Check this out.
6: Putin, 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 listen to me. I have a very important message to you. The message is... and the president of china oh i didn't finish no, sir. thank you to correct me first lady
1: Damn.
6: Yeah, thank you very much
3: god bless you and god bless <clears throat> <laughs> the uh
0: the emphasis of that what you just heard is not so much the content of what it was it's the fact that nations around the world, people in nations around the world, people that ordinarily look at United States presidents and they just think, wow, even it doesn't matter what the political party is. They're running the greatest country on the planet. I mean, I'd like the politics, some of it anyway, but there's respect there. This president folks, sadly, but true, has very little respect from anybody over there. Quite honestly, The same holds true about here in the United States. Joe Biden News. Right after this. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy.
2: You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys
4: need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The
1: new home of craftsmen. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season.
3: Uh, I have a list. When he turns into Uh, Santa. A venti... Iced White Mocha Triple Shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, uh, Planner. Grande Toffee Nut Latte. It's made by Moleskin.
5: Wow, right? Venti Green Tea Cream Frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no it's for my wife. I, I understand.
3: The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskin Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD Permit number 10616.
6: Series of 2015.
2: Hello.
4: Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say the that what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute Stop p- reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride, never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to get some for more Snickers, man, Coach.
6: Hi, Tom Bodet. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice
1: and the American way, Dan Newman.
0: Man, it's a bit hard to follow that, wouldn't you think? Speaking for justice and the American way. Here's Dan Newman. (laughs) Yeah, Joe Manchin, I would love if he'd switch parties, but he's not. And he's still doing some good work as a Democrat in the Senate. He blamed the Biden administration yesterday for all of this horrible, horrible inflation that we have. And um, he also blamed them for blaming everything that's going bad in our nation today, not on the policies of this Democrat president and Democrats in Congress, but on Vladimir Putin. Manchin said this, inflation is a tax, and today's historic inflation data tells another chilling story about how these taxes on Americans, they're just out of control. When will this end? It's a disservice to the American people to act as if inflation is new. The Fed and the administration failed to act fast enough, and today's data is a snapshot in time of the consequences being felt across the country. Instead of acting boldly, our elected leaders in the Federal Reserve continue to respond with half measures and rhetorical failure, searching for where to lay the blame. You remember inflation, inflation, transitory, transitory. I'd never heard the word transitory in my life till it became the talking point of everybody in the Biden administration when the first inflation began to be announced every month, every month. Every month, going up, 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 and up, long before Vladimir Putin even thought about invading Ukraine. Nobody in this administration takes responsibility for any of it. Now, that wasn't Joe Manchin. That was Dan. Back to Joe. The American people deserve the truth about why record inflation is happening and what must be done to control it. The Consumer Price Index, CPI, increased 1.2% between February and March. That's the fastest month-to-month figure since 2005. The White House warned Monday that CPI figures would be extraordinarily elevated. And they blamed Vladimir Putin, of course. Because of the actions we've taken to address Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month. That, of course, came from the resident brain surgeon at the White House, at least temporarily now, Jen Psaki. But we expect March CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hikes. They blamed rising gas prices on Putin, despite gas prices being on the rise way before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Biden said he would do everything he could to minimize Putin's price hike here at home while he was speaking last month. White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield tweeted in March that, quote, for months Putin has been saber-rattling, and for months gas prices have been going up, 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 75 cents since he began his military buildup. Wow. But you know what? None of us should Be surprised about that, about this administration refusing to take any responsibility for inflation. For eight years, folks, eight years in the Obama Biden administration, we heard that rhetoric every day. Everything bad that happened in those eight years lay at the feet of Republicans, and not just any Republicans, their predecessor. George W. Bush, Bush 43, was responsible for everything bad that happened in the eight years Joe and Barack were in power. They've just taken a page and are doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Which that, doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results is called the definition of insanity. Joe Manchin, a lot of respect for the man. One of the few Democrats that I have any respect for. Interesting thing happened yesterday. I'd never heard about this, and and it just really made me stand up and take attention, pay attention. A group of 126 Republican lawmakers, they are demonstrably pushing back against Biden's fiscal year 23 budget proposal, why are they doing this? They say it includes any life and any family provisions. Representative Ralph Norman from South Carolina. He led the representatives in this letter on Monday of this week. Sent it to Biden, reviewed by Fox News, which states, every human life is precious, sacred, and deserving of protection. Unfortunately, your proposal expands abortion on demand that's paid for by us, the taxpayers. Last month, you'll remember, Biden put out a $5.8 trillion budget blueprint for federal spending in fiscal year 2023. It starts October the 1st, this year coming up. The proposal makes no mention of the Hyde Amendment, which is a policy that President Biden has openly supported throughout his career. And what does a Hyde Amendment do? It prevents the use of federal taxpayer money to fund abortions, except in rare instances. This letter continued, stating, We are concerned that for the second year in a row, you have released a budget proposal that includes numerous anti-life and anti-family provisions, which stand in stark contrast to our values and the values of an overwhelmingly majority of Americans. The Biden administration budget proposes a 40% increase of $400 million in funding for the Title X Family Planning Program. That's an act that the lawmakers believe would work in the benefit of the abortion industry as a slush fund. $400 million. The representatives that signed this letter mentioned the budget proposal's 72% increase in funding for the United Nations Population Fund which is an organization with ties to China and North Korea that has supported population control, supported forced abortions, forced abortions, and sterilization. Life and family. Why would we spend $1 supporting that group? I don't care if you believe in abortions and if you want them to happen all the time. But a forced abortion and forced sterilization, and Biden wants to give millions of dollars—four hundred million—to this agency from the United Nations. Back to the information: Life and Valley of Family Values—they say should not be partisan. Any administration that seeks to facilitate abortions and enable some of the world's most brutal regimes to openly violate human rights deserves to be questioned. And I agree with that 100%. It shouldn't matter which side of the aisle you are on. Pro-life, pro-choice, call it whatever you want to call it. A federal government runs on money solely obtained from the people in the way of taxes. Yeah, they've got some income, a bunch of income coming from other areas, but the bulk of it, the huge bulk of it, comes from the taxpayers. That we the people thing kind of stands in the way here, I would think, of any president creating a budget that would spend money that whoever is getting the money, the taxpayer money that comes from American taxpayers, would go to people, entities that fly in the face of the majority of Americans that say, don't fund entities that are pro-abortion using our money. It's one thing to allow abortions. It's a second thing and one totally different to fund abortions using our tax dollars. What's so controversial about that? Why should I pay for a dime of any abortion? when I don't believe in it. I don't believe that it has anything to do with the life of the mother. Rare exceptions. It has to do with one and one thing only. That baby is not wanted. And it's not a fetus. My wife Marianne has never been invited to nor has ever gone to a fetus shower. It's a baby shower. And if you want to try to argue with me feel free to do it over about two inches. That's the difference between those far leftists, those pro-abortion, abortion, abortion people. A couple of inches is the only difference away from that fetus becoming a baby because they want to say it's not a baby until it comes out of the womb. Well, there's about two inches there, two inches different. Does that sound like the stupidest argument that you have ever heard? But yet, that's where they go. That's the story they want to go to. This Hunter Biden laptop thing is not going to die. I know they want to, if they not report on it, maybe people will forget about it. It's not going to die. And folks, in the shadow of all of that, there are so many other problems that Democrats are grappling with, corruption scandals. And he's not even in office in any way. He's just the son of the elected president. More than 15 years after Pelosi first swept House Democrats back into power with her pledge to fight a culture of corruption, she said, her own party, the Democrat Party, is reeling from a bunch of bribery and graft cases across the country. The latest came yesterday. You heard about it, New York's Lieutenant Governor, Brian Benjamin. He was forced to resign after he was charged with multiple violations, including bribery. And that doesn't stand alone. It followed other cases that have targeted the powerful former House Speaker Mike Madigan in Illinois, as well as current and state lawmakers in Hawaii, Nevada, Tennessee, Kentucky, as the White House grapples with the tax and influence peddling probe focused on Hunter Biden. Republicans, they're embracing the turnabout, showcasing law and order candidates like Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York for governor, former NYPD officer Allison Esposito as the number two on the ticket in New York that will challenge Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul and Benjamin in the aftermath of the Andrew Cuomo scandal. Governor Hochul's candidate spent his career breaking the law. Our Republican candidates spent hers bringing lawbreakers to justice. That's the New York GOP crowing after Benjamin was arrested Tuesday. The Republican attack lines are ripped right from the playbook that Pelosi used to put Democrats back in power. Both, she did it in 2006, she did it again in 2018. She made battling corruption a national Democrat campaign theme in 06 when the party won back the majority in Congress during the presidency of George W. Bush when the Jack Abramoff lobbying scandal cast a pall over the entire Republican Party. With Trump in the White House in 2018, Pelosi again dusted off the theme for the midterm election campaign when Democrats regained the majority in the House for the first time since 2010, railing against the Russia collusion probe and charges against Representative Duncan Hunter out in California. The charges against Hunter are further evidence of the rampant culture of corruption among Republicans in Washington today. Pelosi said that in 2018. Now, corruption limelight, it's moved across the aisle. Hunter Biden acknowledged he's under federal investigation for tax issues and reports say the grand jury investigation has expanded. Go figure to include foreign lobbying and money laundering concerns after that laptop was left at a repair shot in Delaware. The laptop contains a bunch of details of his business dealings. And those business dealings are, by the way, while his dad was in office, and continued after his dad was no longer vice president. But his dad, by the way, is back in office now, President Joe. New York has been rocked by multiple scandals. Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned in August after the release of New York Attorney General Letitia James' report that gave details of sexual misconduct involving multiple women in New York. Prior to his resignation, He was also accused of providing special tax breaks to his book publisher and allowing some of his donors to receive bond deals. Yesterday, Brian Benjamin, we just mentioned it, Lieutenant Governor, he was arrested and he was charged with an alleged fraud scheme involving campaign contributions extained for state grant money. There's also been a recent political corruption case in Maryland, Baltimore City Attorney General Marilyn Mosby, a Democrat, is currently facing perjury and false mortgage application charges. In 2020, former Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh was sentenced to three years in prison for fraud, conspiracy, and tax charges. In Illinois, longtime State House Speaker Mike Madigan indicted on federal racketeering and bribery charges in early March. The case that also raised questions about the activities of Governor J.B. Pritzker in Illinois. In Nevada, former Assemblyman Alexander Asifa was indicted earlier this month for misusing campaign money. Tennessee State Senate Katrina Robinson was recently expelled from office. Why? She was convicted of two counts of misusing federal funds. There's another corruption case involving Democrat legislator in Hawaii. According to the Maui News, former state majority leader uh, Leader Jay Kalani English was charged by the feds for allegedly taking more than $18,000 in bribes, including cash, to introduce a bill and later kill legislation involving cesspools in the 2020 legislative session. It's not just Republicans that are caught up in doing bad things. It's not just Democrats, folks. There is so much corruption going on in government, not just in Washington, D.C., but in state houses around the nation, more and more and more and more. Why is that? Why is there so much of this going on? What does every one of these, every single one of these have in common? Every incident we mentioned and all the other ones that you hear about regarding legislative involvement in bribery schemes, all those kind of things. What's the common thread? Money. Money. $170,000 a year to serve in the House or the Senate in D.C. is not enough. I want more money. Where does that come from? Let me just say this. I'm going to take a broad brush and paint a line here right now that you may disagree with, and that's okay. But I look at most legislators today, and I'm not talking about any specific ones. I'm not talking about House members. I'm not talking about just Senate members. I'm not talking about people in the White House. I'm not talking about bureaucrats, unelected power junkies. I'm talking about elected people, the ones that are sent up there by the people and have a responsibility to the people, to us back here. The common thread for it all used to be just totally about money, about money. And maybe that hasn't changed, but no longer do they go straight for the money as much as we've seen in the past decades. In fact, maybe all the way up to the turn of the century everything was about money, money, money. Any kind of corruption scandal, yeah, there may have been some sex stuff involved in it, some other types of felonious activity, but money was right in the middle of every one of those things. And it still is, but I think to a lesser degree. Why is that? They found out, I guess in the first half of the first decade of this year, back around middle of 20, 000, uh, 2005, they found that they could move the power of the federal government up and up and up. And as they were doing that, they could get more power for themselves. And with power, unlimited power, virtually unlimited power, what does that bring with it? everything they wanted, including all the money they wanted. Hey, folks, that was a great day today. Thank you for sharing that here. Thank you for being here every day. Uh, We're going to be here tomorrow, 9 to 11 a.m. We do that every Monday through Friday for our TNN Live Truth News Network family, for you. Thank you so much. You have a great day. And just know this, the best for you is yet to come.
1: Nobody ever loved me. Your you like love is like... you, love you got a real girl and she loves me a lot, lot, lot And ain't lot no other man is gonna take my, my spot and die I'm so happy you're, gonna my my I'm I'm happy you're mine Cause I'ma I'm love you a long time Let me love you a long time Let me love you a long time Let me love you a long time your love, let me love you a long time Me a lot and ain't no other man is gonna take my spot and I I'm so happy you're mine and I'ma love you a long time I'ma love you a long time I'ma love you a long time i am going love you a long time